Foundation SDA Church presents The Bible and Must. Read your Bible daily and join us every Sunday at 7.30pm for our weekly discussion. From Genesis all the way through to Revelation, let's read the entire Bible in 2021 with The Bible and Must. Alright everybody, my name is Robert Stevenson, I'm the principal of Sawgrass Adventist School. And this is uh, Pastor Jennifer Hernandez, the, uh, the uh, Associate Pastor of the Plantation Seventh-day Adventist Church. And today we're going to be going into uh, the Bible study Unmasked. Um, it is aired every Sunday night from 7 at 7.30 on a YouTube on Plantation TV. Our goal is to read the entire Bible in 2021. Reading plans are shared weekly on, at the Sabbath service and on social media, so please join us and read with your family members, friends, and co-workers, and text any questions you have in advance to 954-388-8780. Again, that number. Got a pen handy? Grab it. I'm going to give you a minute to grab your pen or pencil here. Write this down, 954 388-8780. Give us a call. Uh, text us your questions. We would love to hear from you week by week. Pastors will address, and school principals, by the way, will address your, your questions weekly. Um, we invite you to subscribe to the Plantation Seventh-day Adventist Church's YouTube channel and be automatically notified of any future episodes or live streams. Again today, our presenter will be none other than Pastor Jennifer, Pastor Jen, we call her, and uh, she will be presenting to us the, the, uh, and, and discussing the questions that have been sent in this week. Um, Jen, uh, with your permission, I will pray the opening prayer, and then I'll let you pray the closing prayer at the end of the program, if that's okay. That sounds great. Thank you. All right, let's bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this opportunity to share your word. I pray, Lord, please, that as we delve deeply into the questions that have been sent to us, that we will be inspired by your spirit to give accurate answers that will help open up the pages of the scripture, make them real to those who are reading today. Uh, we look forward and thank you in advance for the opportunity we have to share with you and for our readers who are faith our, our, our watchers who are faithfully reading your scriptures daily in jesus name amen 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 so jen last week we did uh we read uh deuteronomy 26 through joshua 7. would you like to remind the readers what we covered last week all right, so we covered last week, as Principal Rob just stated, um, Deuteronomy 26 to Joshua 7, and I'm just going to go through briefly what was covered. Deuteronomy 26 covered the first fruits and tithes and what it means to follow the Lord's commands. Deuteronomy 27 touched on the altar on Mount Ebal. Um, the curses that 
came from Mount Ebal. And then Deuteronomy 28 covered all the blessings that came from their obedience and the curses that came from their obedience. 29, Deuteronomy 29 describes the renewal of the covenants. Deuteronomy 30 covered the prosperity after turning to the Lord, the offer, life or death. Deuteronomy 31 covered Joshua's succession after Moses. Um, what happened when he publicly read the law and Israel, Israel's rebellion was predicted. And then the Song of Moses pops up there. Deuteronomy 32 goes through Song of Moses. And then we come to Deuteronomy 33, where Moses blesses the tribes of Israel. Deuteronomy 34 covers the death of Moses. And then we go on to Joshua 1, where he is installed as the leader. Joshua 2, we find the story of Rahab and the spies. Joshua 3, we discover what happens when they cross the Jordan. And then that's also in Joshua 4. Joshua 5 covers the, pass, um, the Passover and the circumcision at Gilgal, Gilgal and the fall of of Jericho this what week interesting stuff oh, a ton a ton of interesting things it's um, going through Joshua again just remind it's been a while since I've been through Joshua and then just hearing once again about the progress and of all the wars and violence I was just amazed at how detailed and graphic <laughs> it kind of it, it kind of is um, but how the Lord's hand has just, how the Lord's hand has just walked through all of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Fascinating history. And we've got some amazing questions to get into as we get into the reading of Joshua 8 through Judges 3. So we're going to jump now into uh, Joshua 7 through 8. And the question is, why wasn't the miracle of the siege of Jericho, and we remember last time we spoke about the siege of Jericho, how they, you know, were all around the city. They marched around the city once a day for six days, and then on the seventh day they shouted, and the walls fell down. And it was uh, a, definitely a remarkable victory. But why wasn't that miracle repeated when they went to Ai? Ah, so when we think about Jericho, Jericho's, Jericho's success and its miracles, I mean, when you remember what happened when we just when discussed last week, God laid out such a specific plan and a plan that was meant to just tumble these walls. And I, I know um, the people were just kind of trying to figure out how are these walls? And get tumbled right but after the, that walk around Jericho it was such a specific plan they had completely listened and obeyed everything that God had said to do now when it comes to AI I feel and you can correct me if if you think um, differently 
Principal Rob, but I feel that sometimes it's kind of points to what happened with Aiken and and how one man just kind of brought the whole thing down. And so because of what just happened with Aiken and and the treachery that they discovered within the camp and so forth, now God had to use a different strategy. And it was all about changing the strategy that was maybe had maybe he had a whole different plan that was going to be more successful before Aiken had done what he had did. But now it was a complete change of strategy. And this is military war tactics too. And so I believe when they did Akai, they didn't, you know, when, when something big happens in a battle and nothing goes right and you don't really come differently. And God then has to change how he does it and how he brings about the victory. What do you think? You know, I, I, I think <laughs> I think those are all entirely valid, but we, we've got to make sure, and this is a, a leadership issue as well, that, um, you know, when we have our team together, that we're all pulling in the same direction. Mm. And, and God has a plan, a very specific plan for us to be blessed. And sometimes, and, and this, this, is, uh, this is an important indictment on all of us to make sure that when we sign up or join up to be part of God's family, that we recognize that when, when, when we choose to willfully pull in another direction and not follow what God wants us to do, that it doesn't just have an impact on just us. Mm-hmm. That our, our decisions have an effect on all those around us. That there's a you know a satanic principle in the satanic Bible of do whatever you want to do as long as it doesn't do harm to anybody else. Mm-hmm. You will find that you, you will find that in in the satanic Bible. That is that is that is the underlying principle. The problem is is we can't do whatever we want to do, and have it right. not affect other people. It, 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 is, it, is, it is an incredibly flawed philosophy. And so here we have Aiken, who chooses to profit from the battle yes. against, against uh, the, an overwhelmingly more powerful enemy against what God asked him to do. Mm-hmm. And that brought negative consequences to the entire camp of Israel. And so it, it's a warning to all of us who think, well, I yes. can do this little thing. Nobody's going to know, and it's not going to affect anybody else, that when we, when, we, when we cross that line, everything we do affects the whole. And it's, it's an important lesson for us, and it was a painful lesson for the Israelites for to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, in, the, in the research, I found that I found a really beautiful quote according to this that says never is the believer in greater danger of a fall than after a victory so they had just experienced amazingness with jericho and so now it says we are so prone to drop our guard in trusting in ourselves or in our past victories rather than the lord that then they begin to act alone you know um in, in, in which was what Aiken did. 
And it, it, like you said, it is complete warning that you can one day be wallowing in complete victory. And then you think, ah, oh, I can do this better or I can do this without anyone ever finding out. And just that one split second of a wrong decision when you begin to start looking, turning inward instead of looking upward, that it changes the whole compass of what was supposed to have happened. Now it changes it because of one man's actions. All right, let's move on to Joshua 8. Good question. Why did the Israelites need to renew their covenant with the Lord? Should we also renew our covenant, which is baptism, with the Lord from time to time? Hmm. So again, poor Achan is getting the blame for all of this, right? But because they all, because one man acted like this, now it affected the whole nation. And now they all had to come together as one unit and be reminded of who it was they were serving, who had set them apart. God had set them apart as a special people. And now that, you know, Achan had to be dealt with and we know what happened to him, he had to be dealt with. And they now saw the defeat slash victory at AI now they had to come back to the Lord and really, I, it, my words would be rededicate, rededicate themselves and their their whole lives to Him. And so this was their rededication. They they had to go to this altar and make this new altar. And so they had to recognize their sinfulness and come to God as sinners is it was like a whole new start so now we say they, they were renewing their covenant do we renew our covenant um through baptism do we get baptized again and no no we don't because baptism is a one-time public confession uh, or a, a public proclamation to everybody that this is the God who I'm going to serve. This is the God who I am giving my whole life to. So this is a, a one-time thing showing that your life is, is being given back over to God or you're going to the waters of baptism to start a new life with God. So that's the one time you need to do it. Now, when you need to, when you've done something wrong, all Jesus is asked, all Jesus asks us to do now is to just confess our sins, ask for forgiveness, and come back and start trying to fight again. So no, I don't think that you need to be rebaptized again. And I know, I know that it is not required to be baptized again and again after something major has happened. No, I, I, I agree. Oh, I rebaptism is necessary. Uh, I think also this was necessary corporately for the children of Israel because they had experienced a tremendous defeat and and it, it was as much an acknowledgement that God was with them again as they headed back into Canaan. And so they needed to um, help reconcile this tremendous Himself. defeat that they had gone through at the hands mm -hmm. of, of the people of AI. 
so, so that they could uh, reaffirm their dependence on God. And baptism, as, as you pointed out, is just a, rec is a public recognition that Christ died for our sins. And we don't have to, um, we, we don't have to let people know again that we believe that Christ has died for our sins. But I, I think it's also important that we go through many times in our lives where we get down on our knees and recommit ourselves to that promise that we made to, to, to allow Christ back into our lives. But that doesn't necessarily have to mean a rebaptism. I have seen people rebaptized. Mm -hmm. um, but and and if you really feel you need to do that because you've really strayed, but you could understand that that is for you, mm -hmm. so that yes. you feel reconnected. But God always remains connected to you, uh, regardless of what you're going through. But that's something you feel you need to do um, to 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 um, reestablish your connection with God. And so, if you feel like you've strayed a, a long way and you've left the church for a number of years and and, and now that you're coming back, you feel that that would bind you closer, then that's a personal decision. It's not necessary. But if that's going to truly bind you closer to God, then, then, then go ahead and get rebaptized. But it's not a necessary thing from a, from a scriptural standpoint to be rebaptized. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm with you 100% there, Jen. It's interesting that you say that, um, where we say it's not a scriptural thing that, and I, I believe, I truly agree with what you say about it. it's, it's our own decision. Sometimes though, and I know that people who are listening and watching are thinking in their minds, you know, but I saw someone, a pastor made them get rebaptized because um, they felt pregnant out of marriage um or that person I, I, we, we know of that person who's been heavily um into drugs and 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 now they want to come back to christ so then what about that you know and it, it was a struggle for me and i actually went back to look and like what you said i i've experienced you know and i myself um when you're kind of forced I'm not sure if that's even the right way to say it, but yes, forced to undergo rebaptism, but it's not technically for you; it's for the people. Um, right. Ministers right. have said, "Oh, the people need to know that you have really changed your life," and 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 that that's hard to swallow. You know, it's a, it, it's again a public a, a public confession that yes, I know I've done wrong, and. I'm coming back to I'm coming back to Christ, and so for those who are listening and have said, and who've come to me and said, you know, my pastor from such a church made me get rebaptized because of this, and did I really need to get rebaptized? And so there's that open whole discussion there that, well, um, this is what your pastor was trying to accomplish that everyone <laughs> that everyone could see that you were coming back. Yeah, and, and you know. Sometimes I think if if it, if it's done in in the in in the in the uh, right um, the right spirit, mm -hmm. that bringing somebody back into the fold. Um, but but I I would I would be uncomfortable if somebody was doing it because I felt pressured. I think mm. it, it's 
important um, for any, any congregation to embrace those who have chosen to come back and not make them go through especially unnecessarily, un unnecessary and unbiblical hurdles to come back into mm -hmm. the fold. You know, what's interesting, and we will get into this in our reading, you know, when Christ uses the, uh, the parable of the lost sheep, it doesn't say that he took out his rod and beat that little sheep all the way back to the to the fold, so that it would yes. remember that if it ever that if it ever wandered again to avoid a beating. It doesn't say that. It said that with joy in his heart, he picked up that little sheep, put it on his shoulders, and carried mm -hmm. it back. And so, mm -hmm. you know, the concept of rebaptism, if that's something that comes from an overflow of your heart, then by all means, if it's go ahead and do so. Yes. Um, you know, as, as, as a way of, of further punishment and humiliation, that's not what God's about. Um, that, no, that, no, God it's is not. about reconciliation and, 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 and joy of having somebody back in the fold with the other 90 and nine. And so when somebody comes back, we, we should jump at it, um, and, and bring them back and let them feel like they've never been away. Um. And so, uh, you know, I, I think that that is um, a strong biblical approach. But sometimes, just like any religion, um, we are um, affected by our cultural biases. Um, and, and so, you know, we've got to be careful that we don't allow our, our cultural bias for, for, for retribution yes. to yes. become part of our theological reality and make sure that we're truly grounded in what the scripture requires. In this situation here, it was a corporate acknowledgement that we are all truly committed to God after what Achan's sin had done. So they weren't trying to make up for, for their, their sin, but it was a, an opportunity for them that when it was time to go back into battle, this was very psychological, okay? This wasn't, mm -hmm. this wasn't a spiritual as much as a very powerful psychological move that Joshua and Joshua was was in when you study Joshua again I'm a psychologist from background when you study Joshua and look at this book from a psychological standpoint leadership is 90% psychology and yes, this recommitment was allowing his people to understand that they were still God's people. And if they were going to go back into battle again, and understanding that we have all recommitted, reconnected, and we're doing it God's way, and now we're going back in. So this was this was an entirely different situation here mm -hmm. for these people. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and so when they would go into battle, you know, because Joshua didn't need his army to go back into battle with fear and trepidation. They had an no. entire an entire region to occupy. To conquer. And so if mm -hmm. they were doing it by fear, it wasn't going to work out for them. So so that's why this reconsecration in this setting was vital. And it had nothing to do with with us being rebaptized. No. Um and reconsecrating from that point. This was a corporate reconnection and understanding that we were going to do it God way, God's way as a group. And I think there are times where as congregations, and that's why we do weeks of prayer and those kinds of things, where we give ourselves a corporate opportunity to recommit our lives. Um, that it is important to come back in and recognize that as a, as a, as a congregation, we may have allowed ourselves to, to slide back, but let's come back 
to our Lord and together. Savior and look mm -hmm. as a group decide together we're going to do it for him. We come to Joshua 8, 23, 25. And um, the question with, with the with the verse, it says, so the entire population of AI, including men and women, was wiped out that day, 12,000 in all. The question is, let's envision a similar scenario today where a group of Christians would destroy an entire population in God's name. How do we reconcile the massacre described in this passage with God's loving character? Couldn't this passage describe a group of godless people killing others in God's name? Ooh, this question is like, fourfold question here how do we know for sure that they were led by god because today we tend to blame those who were who engage in violent behaviors in god's name and often call them radicals or terrorists how can we blame them when many biblical stories seem to support violence and so i, I know the question here is there um if God is doing this in the Bible and people are killing in God's name and now today the same things are happening and people are looking to the Bible and saying, well, the Bible, in the Bible, God, the using as like God allows this type of a thing. How, how can we reconcile that to today? What do you think? This is a hard one. Okay, so in North America, we uh, we we used uh, this uh, as an excuse to massacre the Native Americans when we created the the false uh, scenario of manifest destiny, that it was our that it was God God's given uh, decision that we were going to become a nation from coast to coast, from east to west coast. Um, so these 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 biblical stories have been used erroneously through history by christians yeah. um the 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 um subjugation of the aztec people in south america by by the hispanic conquistadors similar situation they they felt that they were justified uh, to bring christianity by the sword to the native peoples um destroying incredibly rich and incredible cultures so yes this philosophy has been abused throughout time, um, and uh, we, we need to be very careful because in, in the biblical narrative, God was leading a specific people directly mm. by the power of mm -hmm. his word. It wasn't yes. an extrapolation from the scripture, okay, guys? We've yes. got to understand. He opened the Red Sea. He told them he was taking them to the promised land. He had promised that land to Abraham. They were going to occupy, and it was God's direct word. Now, listen, if, if you hear God's direct word speaking to you, first of all, make sure that you see a good psychiatrist first and make sure that there isn't schizophrenia taking place. I'm not saying it's not going to happen. But just make make sure you get confirmation because there's been some people who've done some pretty kooky stuff because they thought that they're hearing God's word talk speak to them. Yes. And, and, and so make sure that, that, that you get counsel. Make sure that you talk to your pastor. 
make sure that in the case that it's very extreme that you're hearing you that you're speaking to mental health professionals first but when we talk about god's moving listen if, if next time you go down to Biscayne Bay, the Lord opens up the bay and, and, and makes it possible for you to walk through on dry land, okay, if that ever happens so, so that you can get to, get to the other side, and the Lord says, I want you to take and occupy the, the land on the other side of, 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 of the bay, you might have something going on there, and the Lord might have a message for you. But... But outside of that kind of miraculous stuff, if, if you go through and you said, Lord, I, I want you to take the city and I want you to march around it, you know, six times on one day and the seventh day, I want you to, you know, to sing praises to God and it's all going to fall down. And that happens. You know that God has a plan for your life. But outside of those kinds of extreme happenings, yes. God's not asking anybody to go and, and, and conquer and murder and do terrible things. You've got to understand and, and we, we spoke about, and, and Jen, we, we spoke about this back in, in Genesis, where mm -hmm. we're talking about the descendants, the Canaanites were the descendants of, of, of the, the, the son of Noah that was cursed. Okay. And so these, th this was coming and, and these were, were, and, and what we need to understand when we talk about this, these were not nice, cuddly individuals. Okay. These were people who sacrificed their children live on burning altars to their gods. These, these were not God-faring, kind, cuddly people who were living just a sweet pastoral life, um, living in, in line with God's plan for humanity, okay? And so mm -hmm. when, when the Israelites were sent in to occupy this land, I think they were also um, tools in God's hand to purge a, a significant evil from that, from that land. One of the things I love about the Christian Bible as opposed to the Quran and there was a time in my life I, I hate to admit this I studied deeply into uh, into Islam um, because it mm. fascinated me as a religion is Islam does become more um, more radical in the the, the the as the book moves along in other words the original writings of the Quran that were given to Muhammad by Gabriel are in, are in, in, incredibly um, progressive. And the Quran hmm. becomes less and less progressive as it moves along, as, mm -hmm. as, as Muhammad's family and uncles and so on added to the book, it becomes more radical. Christianity is exactly the opposite. It starts right. out as, as, as a book of conquest, after, you know, as we get into, you know, especially starting in Exodus and moving forward. But then as Christ comes, he brings reconciliation. Okay. Yes. And so in the reconciliation stage between God and mankind as, as Christians, and we've got to recognize that, that the, this, this capturing of, of, of AI and the, um, and the, and the warfare that took place there were a lot of miracles that pointed them in that direction by God. So when they got there, they were fully aware. Because you've got to understand something. Killing babies and stuff like that are hard on the soldiers. Mm. And, and there are things that you've got to recognize if you go back through Deuteronomy, which we've read, that after major battles, soldiers had time to actually go and take care of the post-traumatic stress. They didn't immediately come back into the camp. They had to wash mm -hmm. the blood from their clothes. 
They have to go through purification ceremonies. There have to yep. be things to help them deal with the post-traumatic stress of the brutal things that they had to do in the name of God. This is not easy. Um, this was not a, 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 a happy time for them. You know, we mm -hmm. tend to read about mm -hmm. these victories in this Yahoo. This, they had to be incredibly brutal. We also have to understand that we're, and we, and we, and Jen, we've touched on this before. This was a time of, of tribalism. Yes. And the Middle yes. East is so very, very much that way. When, when you are going to come in and occupy an area, you can't just come in and occupy it and let everybody live and you're going to hold hands and sing Kumbaya. It doesn't work that way. Um, no. In, in, mm -hmm. in the United States, we've had a tendency to be very hard on certain Middle Eastern leaders because when people have stood up against them, they've gone in and wiped out an entire village. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're going to maintain order, unfortunately, in, in a tribal culture, a, 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 there's a certain level of brutality that has to take place. Now, in the United States, we're becoming tribal, unfortunately. We're dividing mm, on less than yes. and we're becoming tribal. Yes. And that, that's a terrifying thing for me. It doesn't bode well for the long-term future mm. of our country. If we don't find a way to come together and get out of our individual camps, it, it, it's ultimately going to lead us to a similar society that they were dealing with back then, which, which <sighs> is, is, is not something we should be happy about. So it, when you're going into a tribal culture and you're dealing with those kinds of things, the rules were significantly different and it was a different time. And with the kind of miracles that were projected and, and been able to be done, the parting of not just the parting of the Red Sea, but the drying Red, up yeah. of the Jordan River, and all the other victories, they were definitely doing what God wanted to do. So unless you're getting those kinds of signs, yes, use very, very different tactics because I don't think we're going to see anything like this again. It's not God's plan. And our, our challenge as Christians is to bring love and reconciliation to entire world through Jesus Christ. We're not conquering real estate anymore. Our role, our role is to reach and conquer hearts. And that mm -hmm. is where the miracles take place as Christians. That's where we see God's miracles and God's hand and his directing. So we've got to make Amen. sure we're doing and following God's direction. Amen. Yes. I hope everybody understood where my heart was. And please understand yes. I am not anti-Islamic in any way. It's just a it's just a um it's it's just a, a factual analysis of the of the Quran. And um here in in um in Fort Lauderdale area, I have been befriended and befriended a large Islamic community that I enjoy hanging out with. Quran is the only non-christian scripture where you can convert somebody to christianity and yes. christ through their own book okay yes um, they, they are actually very respectful of jesus christ they believe jesus yes, they christ are. to be a prophet above muhammad they they, mm -hmm. they 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 have a great deal of respect for our theology um but unfortunately because of a lower level of literacy in the middle east not everybody understands their own book and so um, it's interesting when you can open up their own scriptures to them and introduce them to Jesus Christ, not from the Bible, yes. but from the Quran. But from their so, own, yes. From their own scriptures. So, so, so let's not write those folks off. I believe that, that God did make Ishmael a great nation and that they still have a part to play.
in the final conflict and and, and and the end of time so 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 let's not write write off our our islamic neighbors because they are great people from a great uh, a great theological yes, tradition yeah. of their own okay so let's yes, jump in then to joshua 9 22 it says when joshua summoned the gibeonites and said why did you deceive us saying we were a long way from you while actually you lived near us? The people of Gibeon and the other cities lied about their place of dwelling. Why did the Israelites still keep their promise and not attack them? Man, the Gibeonites were so cunning, but in their cunningness, this also harkens back to um, how they the israelites did not um in the in the gibeonites request and and in, in their lie right it, it just shows that the israelites did not consult with god before before granting their request so now now they had to save face they saw that they erred right they didn't put god first the israelites did not put god first did not um consult him before reconsulting with the gibeonites and so and so now they realize okay um we didn't do that but now we have to keep this promise so the israelites didn't attack because the leaders of the community had sworn an oath to them in the name of god Right. In the name of the Lord God right. of Israel, the whole community criticized the leaders, but the leaders told the committee, we swore an oath to them in the name of God, so now we can't hurt them. And when we view the verses of 9 to 21, the people also wanted them to disregard their covenant and give nights. However, although the Israel erred by leaning on their own understanding rather than consulting God, as I just had said, they honored this agreement. Had they not been men of honor and integrity, they could have easily sought to cover their tracks by destroying the Gibeonites. But they honored their pledge because it had been ratified in the name of God. And to break the covenant would be dishonoring God's name and bringing down his wrath. All right. That, that's right. I think for all of us to make sure that in all the ways we do business with people, that we maintain the higher ground. And so, you know, they were sending a strong message that if, 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 you, uh, if, if we make a treaty with you, we're going to honor it. Even when you're dishonorable, we're going to honor it. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, it, it, it was pretty vital and um, you know we'll discover you know moving forward you know that there were some other battles and things where the Gibeonites had to call on on the help of the Israelites because they weren't very popular for for making a treaty with Israel yes and, yes and, and in, in some ways that gave the Israelites a, a another a a a, a less disastrous way of defeating some of their enemies because it caused some of their enemies to come out against them and um, mm -hmm. so they weren't uh, attacking a passive con uh, uh, population, which I think was important for the um, for the morale of the Israelite soldiers as well. It's easier to attack when you're being attacked than to go after mm -hmm. a passive con uh, a 
passive group of people. So, you know, we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit because we're talking here in, in Joshua uh, 10, verse 13 and 14. So the sun stood still and the moon stayed in place until the nation of Israel had defeated its enemies. So, um, is this event not recorded in the book of Jasher? The sun stayed in the middle of the sky and did not set on a nor in an, on a normal day. There has never been a day like this, nor before or since, when the Lord answered such a prayer. Surely the Lord fought for Israel that day. Did the yes, sun did. really stop in the middle of the heaven? And doesn't the earth rotate around the sun? Isn't this passage simply describing an eclipse? Ooh, I think a lot of people would want to say that it, that it is an eclipse because it is easier to say that because that is what we know of in our human mind. It is harder for us to actually believe exactly as the Bible said that the sun stood still. So in researching this, there were two things that I found. Um, and I'm going to read it to you. So the first assumes if we are going to cons consider that the sun actually stopped. The first assumes a slowing, suspending, the two views. The first assumes that there was a slowing or suspending of the normal rotation of the earth so that there were extra hours that day, 12 or 24 hours. And so upon, when we look at it that way, then we bring it biblically into saying God did, God did this so that Joshua's forces could complete their victory before the enemy had a night for resting and regrouping. Um, and so the Hebrew word for stood still is a verb of that motion, indicating that the slowing or stopping of the rotation of the earth on its axis would not affect the earth's movement on the sun. Um, and so the ver verse 14 indicates that this was a unique day in the history of the world. Now that's the first view. The second view assumes that there is no irregularity in the rotation of the earth. Um, it just prolongs the, the daylight by some sort of unusual refraction of the sun's rays. Therefore, there was more daylight hours, but no more hours in the day. So it was just kind of a, another pausing. And this view supposes that this semi-darkness gives Joshua's men relief because they're, they're saying around noonday this happened, right? So this semi-darkness gave the men relief from the blazing sun. And this also precipitated the hailstorm that happened and um, indicating that the sun was clouded by this hailstorm um, and no extra hours were added to this day. Now, I got so curious and I'm thinking, how could this, mm. and I, how is this even possible? I know that in our talk, because we had talked briefly about this, uh, you said, oh, NASA supports this. I'm like, does NASA support this? So I'm not sure if the website that I found um, is like the, the true, true website, but it was a story off of the website that said 
there was a point where astronauts had had got or researching because they're trying to send the lights into space and researching the times so that um, whatever the satellites wouldn't be bumped um, in so many light years to come. And in doing so, they realized that there was a spot of elapsed time and they couldn't figure out how the earth was missing a day. And supposedly there was a Christian on the team who said something along the lines of, you know, there is something in the Bible that references a lost day. And so he goes back to the Bible, shows them the story of Joshua and the moon, uh, the sun standing still. And so now they're doing all their calculations and they realize, oh, it is, it is not exactly a lost day. It's like 24 hours and 20 minutes. So what happens? What about, um, or 23 hours and, and 20 minutes? What about the, the extra 40 minutes? It should be that we were, we're missing something here. We're, we're missing not a full day. So we're, we're looking for this. And so he looks again in the scriptures and he finds, I forget what king, but he finds the scripture where, um, the king had asked God to move the shadow of the sun back. And so when they cal when calculated the movement of the shadow back to whatever degree it says in the Bible that um, it had been moved back, then that makes up the other 40 minutes that now amounts total to the whole 24 hours. And so I was out there thinking, oh my goodness, Rob did stumble upon something. I have to look at this, and and so it's amazing. Um, I think it. I I don't think it's an eclipse. I think it truly was a stopping of the day. What do you think? No, I I, I think there's there's something to be able to prove it, and um, an eclipse wouldn't an, wouldn't answer the question of the day being extended. Right. The length because of the day was extended. In fact, an eclipse makes a day seem shorter. It makes the sun darker, mm -hmm. you know. So the day was definitely extended. And, and you're right, you know, and, and maybe the day being extended maybe pre precipitated the, 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 that devastating hailstorm that wiped out uh, so many of the enemies there. Um, but but the, the fact is that, that it shows up in the space-time continuum, if you want to get into a Star Trek term, that, that there, there are these anomalies in the in the time continuum that 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 are are only explained from the Bible that there were specific events and I will tell you friends that if you are you know somebody who is struggling with the veracity of Scripture when you see an explanation for something in scripture because this didn't happen randomly right it wasn't like all of a sudden the day was 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 extended it was in the midst of a battle they needed the extra time they prayed to yes. god and god gave them the extra time friends if you're struggling with with the truth in the scripture this is one of those events that will show you beyond the shadow of a doubt that God is directly involved. And also going back to the pr previous question about the, the battle against AI, that if, if you, know, you feel you're in a battle for truth and God answers you with a miracle like this directly, that you're doing yes. God's will. Without these yes. kinds of miracles, if you're asked to do something super extreme and God isn't opening the way for you, back off, okay? 
back off. But it was obvious that God was not just answering the prayers, but, but giving confirmation that you're doing the right thing. Doing this kind of ethnic cleansing, which is, is a modern mm. term, okay, mm. should only take place if there is a direct and, and, and inexplicable command from the word of God. And so this is another place in the Bible that gives credence to the fact that these people were doing what the God of the universe was asking them to do. As difficult as it was, and as, as, as seemingly brutal as it was based from our lands, they were definitely doing what God wanted them to do. And on that, I think, I think what the problem is that some people have with this verse is the fact that a mere mortal could call upon God and ask for that specific thing that shouldn't even be, how, how can a man call out and say, God, stop the sun? You know, it's like, it's like he has yeah. that internal yeah. connection. You know, what power do you have to stop nature and the regular, and regular movements of it? Cause that would, that, 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 then that would propel Joshua into someone who was truly special. And while he is truly special, it, it just points straight to the fact that Joshua had that connection that he could ask God because he was walking and doing what God was asking him to do. It, it goes right into what Christ says, and we'll get this when we get into the New Testament. If you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can command a mountain for my sake to go to throw itself into the sea. Yes. Well. So God wants us to have that kind of a relationship with him, that when we're, when we're caught up in his work, his work, not our own, okay? That's not so we can have our own personal little mountain in the, in the Bahamas. That's not what we're talking about. If we're doing it for his will, and we have the seed, the, the, you know, the, the, the faith of a mustard seed, that we too will be able to call on those things to happen. Okay, so then See. we're going to jump into Joshua 10, 24 through 26. And then Joshua 11, verse 9. Do you want to read that, Jen, or would you like me to? Okay, I'll read this. When they had brought these kings to Joshua, he summoned all the men of Israel and said to the army commanders who had come with him, come here and put your feet on the necks of these kings. So they came forward and placed their feet on their necks. And Joshua said to them, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, be strong and courageous. This is what the Lord will do to all the enemies you are going to fight. Then Joshua put the kings to death and exposed their bodies on five poles, and they were left hanging on the poles until evening. Joshua did to them as the Lord had directed. He hamstrung their horses and burned their chariots. Why so much cruelty? Hamstrung, that's when you tie the legs, right? You, you, uh, you actually, you actually cut the Achilles tendon of, of, of the animal so that it can never run again. Oh, okay, okay. I had a different picture in my mind what hamstrung was. So why so much cruelty? Mm, 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 mm. So we go back. So, so one thing that kind of 
frustrates me about this verse is they found the kings hiding in a cave. These kings who commanded all their armies, these five kings who commanded all their armies to fight out in the open. So then technically what it's saying is they left their armies. These leaders left their armies and went to hide. Now, what king does that? You know, what king leaves all for his people to fight for them? And so um, it that was one thing that that irritated me. I mean, and, and which shows me now why there was, why they were dealt with the way they were. And so while capturing the five kings was important, um, there were more pressing matters. So Joshua basically says, I'm gonna deal with you later. He goes and he um, obliterates, he, he and his armies obliterate all the five armies of these kings before they can run into other cities and, and find safety. And so now the battle is, on, is over and Israel army had totally destroyed the enemy. And now Joshua returns to these leaders and turns his attention to them. And now he goes, goes to them and he did two major things. First following, so it says um, he put, he told his leaders to there feet on their throat. So this follows an ancient Eastern custom, sometimes pictured on Egyptian and Assyrian monu monuments. He made the defeated kings lie down in the dust before him and his commanders. These leaders who are supposed to be standing tall are now humiliated and defeated, and now they're lying down. And he calls his commanders to come and place their feet on the necks of the five, five kings and complete subjugation. But, but there was more that Joshua did. Now he used this opportunity to focus his commanders and his army on the Lord with just the words that he says next. With the feet of his commanders on the necks of the kings, Joshua says, don't be afraid. Don't panic, be strong, be brave for the Lord will do the same thing to all your enemies that you fight and he executes them. So in this execution, he used this execution as a way to encourage his commanders that when God promises that I am giving the enemy over to you, I am seriously going to give the enemy over to you, they will lie in the dust at your feet, and this is how you will defeat them. See, he used the opportunity to not only remind them, remind his commanders, this is what happens when we follow and obey what the Lord is asking us to do. Yes. And, and it's, it's also another part of Joshua's leadership of, of, of men in war because he need to, needed to constantly be keeping up the men's morale and keeping them properly focused. Um, and so to, to, to reinforce in them, because again, you know, so many times when we read, when we read scripture and we read about these battles, we think, well, they just went to battle. And any, anybody who's hearing this, who has actually been in armed forces and actually had to face enemy, um, in, in mortal combat, you know that it takes a tremendous psychological toll. 
That's why we have so many Americans right now as a result of, of our disastrous wars in the Middle East, you know, suffering from, from post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, you know, we have a lot of, of, of homeless vets that, that you have to make sure that you, maintain, you, 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 you um, continue to maintain the sense of importance and, 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 of the, uh, and of the meaning of the wars that you're fighting. As soon mm -hmm. as you lose mm -hmm. that impetus in battle, you start doing psychological damage to your soldiers. Uh, we saw that with our Vietnam veterans, and now we're seeing it with our, with our, our uh, Afghan and, and Iraqi veterans returning. The, Lord, the, the wars have lost their meaning, lost their importance to the United States. Yes. And now our boys mm -hmm. are coming back really struggling with why are we there and why did I watch my buddies die and all those things. So Joshua yes. shows a real understanding of the psychology of war on his men and to maintain the fact that this is truly a holy war, that we're going to con continue to see victories and that ultimately this is going to be a holy war is, is important. That, that, that's why during the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln understood very, very importantly that this isn't a war for states' rights. This is a war for freedom and to end slavery. He changed the, the whole dynamic um, of, those, of, of those war for the sake of the, of the sanity of, of, of his troops so that they recognized they were fighting for a higher purpose. And Gideon understood this way back then, that he had to keep his men focused on the higher purpose and on the victories that God was going to give them. This wasn't a victory for, for, for Gideon. These were victories for God. Very, very important psychological bent to this entire thing that he was doing with his men so that they understood why and what they were fighting for. You mean Joshua did this? Joshua, uh, Gideon yes. did too later, but Joshua no, as well. No, right. Joshua, I'm sorry. Joshua, yes. Let's jo jump into Joshua 11, verse 20. Um, so that we, I, I don't know if we're going to run out of time here. So let's, let's just keep on moving forward. For it was the Lord himself who hardened the hearts to wage war, uh, war against Israel so that he might destroy them totally, exterminating them without mercy as the Lord had commanded Moses. Please explain. The Lord hardened their hearts so that he might destroy them. Okay, so when I think of the word harden your heart, my, my thoughts immediately go to Pharaoh. Um, I actually forgot that, that this was said in Joshua um, as well. So my, my thoughts immediately went to Pharaoh and how the Lord hardened his heart. And I came upon a strong quote that goes, when a man's heart is bent towards sin, it will stay bent until something greater than itself comes along to straighten it up. The heart of a man is desperately wicked and horribly deceitful even towards itself. And so, so I'm thinking, okay, my first thought went to Pharaoh. Why did, why did God hardens, harden Pharaoh's heart? Because he already knew that Pharaoh would not bend. You know, 
plague upon plague he's seeing fall upon his nation. And uh, as, as Moses is pleading, please let my people go. And he sees all these things happening to his nation. You would think that as a leader, he wants, he wants this to stop. He wants his people to, to not suffer these plagues, but it's happening. He's not letting go of it. His pride is so strong that he's not going to. So now God is, God is saying, you know, I'm going to make an example out of this. This is why he hardened Pharaoh's heart so he could destroy him. And this now goes the same way of, of the Canaanites. Why did he harden their hearts? God already saw that the Canaanites' morals, that they were just wicked, that no matter what they tried to do, their, their morality would not change. So instead of softening their hearts, he hardened them so that they could be destroyed. That's what, it, that's what I think it means um, why, they, why he hardened their heart, so that he could destroy them. I I th I think so. Uh, it, it's it, it's also a, another thing again from the psychology of war. Very very hard to uh, destroy people who are nice and kind and sweet, and 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 coming and trying to make peace. It, it made it a lot easier for the children of Israel to go in and attack an already hostile enemy. Mm -hmm. um, and probably you know another reason why you know why the the. Uh, the, the was it the Jebusites were give, were mm -hmm. shown mercy beyond as well because they weren't showing themselves well, to be yeah to to be the enemy you know they wanted peace uh, desperately to the point where they were you know willing to do anything because the terms that that, that they were given by Israel if you, if if you if if the the readers remember reading that was that they were going to be forever the servants of the Israelites I mean they were going to be their water mm -hmm. bearers and their and all, and all those things that they said, that's fine. We're willing to do that. It's very, very hard to want to um, finish off an enemy who is coming to you with terms of peace. And serve you. And say, look, just yes. let us live and we'll serve you, you know. And so when, when it came as a, as a tool for, 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 for the Israelites to be able to completely conquer the land, it's a lot more helpful from a psychological standpoint, again, of war, to be attacking somebody who is hostile. And so mm -hmm. that that... that why you know that that is another reason why the hardening of the hearts was important because the Lord obviously wanted those people to be completely um, eradicated, obliterated, and, mm -hmm. uh, and they they made it easy for the Israelites to want to do that. Okay, Joshua thirteen verse six, and all the hill country from Lebanon to Mesperth Ma'am, including all the lands of the Sidonians. I myself I'll drive these people out of the land ahead of the Israelites. So be sure to give the land to Israel as a special possession, just as I have commanded you. God protected the Israelites, but destroyed people from other nations. Mm. Why should I believe that God cares about me when I'm not from Israel? Why should I believe the Bible applies to me. Well, well, well this is an, another one of those texts where you've got to deep, dig, dig, for, you know, forward into the New Testament to understand 
that we have the opportunity, and, and, and it's interesting here because we're talking about the dichotomy between you know the tri the, the people who 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 became very hostile towards Israel and those who sought peace with Israel. Um, in, in, in the time that we're living now, God gives us the opportunity, as, you, as, as we will get into the book of Romans and First and Second Corinthians, where as, as um, people who are not Jewish get adopted into the family of Christ. Yes. Mm -hmm. okay. It's our desire to be adopted into the family of Christ that creates the protection that we're looking for. Um, that when Christ died on the cross um, um, at the hands of his chosen people, God chose the Israelites for a very special purpose. Okay. Mm -hmm. at, the, at the hands of, 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 of his people, the Israelites, he made it possible for all the rest of the world once they gave themselves over to become spiritual Israel, and we become spiritual Israel the moment we accept Jesus Christ into our lives, we are protected. And so it's important for us to recognize that by our choice now, by our choice, God has already chosen the entire world to become spiritual Israel. Now we need to accept the gift of Jesus Christ. And once we mm -hmm. accept that gift, we become spiritual Israel, we become protected because we truly become God's people. And so yes, one of the opportunities we give our friends and neighbors is to become part of God's family. Once we're part of God's family, we can ex expect this kind of protection. Now, th does that mean that we should be running around murdering our friends and neighbors who don't accept Jesus Christ? <laughs> Remember, there's gotta be some pretty serious miracles happening before we start running around doing that. And so until the God starts parting seas and, and, and raining down um, 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 you know, plagues and, and those kinds of things, this is not our calling, okay? So please understand yes. that. But we can expect God's protection once we accept God and start out of love for him, following his laws and his and and, and, his, and under his law, we are protected once we accept Jesus Christ into our lives. And so that is my answer for that one, guys, is, is make the choice. I'm going to invite you to make the choice to become part of spiritual Israel today and allow God's protection to descend on you and your families. Joshua fifteen sixty three says, Judah could not dislodge the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem. To this day, the Jebusites live there with the people of Judah. Why couldn't they drive out the Jebusites? Didn't God help them? Didn't he promise them according to Exodus 23, 28 and Joshua 24, 12 that he was going to drive them out? Why, why couldn't they be driven out? So we need to first consider that God did not give an unconditional promise to drive them out. It was conditioned on the faithful obedience of the people to God and to, and to their leader, Joshua. So we know that the people were not faithful, not entirely faithful and obedient. Again, we come to Achan. He sinned and kept back the spoils from the city. But despite this, 
God renewed the promise to eventually drive out the non-Jews the non in Joshua 13, 16. He says, I myself will drive them out before the Israelites. The fact is that God did fulfill his promises and he was faithful to Israel. Unfortunately, because of the stubbornness and disobedience of the people, the complete victory of driving out the, <clears throat> the Jebusites was delayed for several generations. Eventually, we find that God did fulfill his promise to Abraham and to Joshua. In 2 Samuel um, 5, verse 6, we learn that David was finally able to dislodge the Jebusites from Jerusalem. In fact, at the end of his career, all of the promised land had been taken by the Jews and occupied by God's people. Under Solomon, the Israelites occupied territory from Beersheba to the Euphrates River. So God did fulfill his promise to Joshua, but it was not filled during Joshua's lifetime. Yeah, and I, and I think that's important also because God makes a lot of promises to us as Christians too, but they're not all fulfilled right away. It's a process. Mm -hmm. It's a journey. We have to wait on and it. And we, we need to trust him through it. We need to trust him through it and realize that ultimately God's victory is secure. So, yes, thank you for that, Jen. That was, that was a great answer for that. All right. So here we are, Joshua 23, verse 13. Um, when you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these enemies before you, instead, they'll become snares and traps for you, whips on your backs and thorns in your eyes until you, pe you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Would God have driven out the remaining nations even after Israel settled in Canaan? I believe no. Um, the reason why I believe no is because the Israelites were always constantly going back, going back on their on their vows to God, and we'll see we'll see later on that they in in judges we will see that every time they they, they made a new promise with God somewhere along the way they broke it and then they kept asking for for rescue. God, will you will you rescue us? And so, I don't think that God would have done other main nations because he needed he needed something there. And this is just my personal opinion. He needed something there to continuously remind the Israelites who they were serving. Um, he needed something yeah. there to yeah. constantly bring them back to him because they were not they weren't staying true to what they had always promised. I, th I think we will always have um, distractions in our lives, always. And we, we've got to decide who we really serve. And so, you know, the, the, these people were there um, to um, help uh, continually challenge the children of Israel. And, mm -hmm. and in, in many cases, drive them back to God. I, I think one of the, the issues that we deal with sometimes here in North America is our lives are too easy. Um, mm. oh. and, and so we don't feel like we have to rely on God to make it every single day. And mm -hmm. I, I think 
that there needs to be there need to be challenges placed in our lives that give us the opportunity to really test ourselves and see if we are true believers. And so, so friends, if if there are are um, enemies of Israel in your life, and you can name them, you know. It, it, it can be the technology, it can be Netflix, it can be, um, you know, lo loving your job, it can be whether or not you're paying tithe, it can be all these things, all these tests that we find around us, please realize that there are, are, are Can Canaanites in our lives that are set there to, to, to challenge us to stay close to God. And, and so we need to be able to see ourselves very clearly in the light of the Old Testament Israelites who could choose. And you've got to understand that, that as we read the Bible, we'll discover there's always a remnant of people who stay true, always a remnant. And we've got to commit ourselves to be part of that remnant who are going to stay true to God, even when everybody else around us, sometimes even our, spirit, our Christian brothers and sisters are having a hard time. That, that 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 those enemies are left there as, as a reminder that we can be scourged by sin again if we don't stay true and so yes. so so that that's that's why they they remain there as a continual challenge but we will also see over and over through the biblical history that that if we return to god god does give us the victory as long as we do it his way and 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 we've got to understand we will have victories as long as we do it god's way and so as you continue to read forward and we're, we're getting you know we, we've only got a few more questions to go in your spiritual walk that i want to challenge you to as you read as we continue to read through the you know, judges especially judges and then joshua judges ruth for, you know first and second um you know, Kings first and second chronicles that you will see this reoccurring theme of the small remnant leading the majority of the people back to God and focusing on God again. And that's where our mission comes in as the Seventh-day Adventist Church, as the last true Protestant denomination left on mm. earth to lead others back to God, that we are part of that remnant, to be a true part of the of the people of the last days who are going to stand true as everybody else starts heading towards bowing the knee to rome again we're seeing it happen throughout the world that we stay true to our protestant belief that there is only one god that we're going to stay true to him yes the, um so you know that verse in in, in joshua's farewell address to his people we have that famous verse that we always use um we call i call it proof texting you know we always use this one part of the verse choose you this day whom you will serve but as for me and my house i will serve the lord and and as christians we just kind of throw this verse around as um as saying okay so so who are you serving are you serving are you serving man are you serving god and, and we use this in sermons and bible studies to kind of stir the pot and sometimes make people feel guilty but then as i read again and this time not only was i reading reading the bible um as i was studying these these passages but i turned on the I think it's called, it was a version of the Bible that it was um, 
animated, oh, no, that's not the right word. It, it, it was audio, but it was an animated audio. So there were different characters in it. And the way that Joshua had said this verse now, now that I saw it in a greater context, he's telling his people, this is where God has brought us from. Look at all, all these years I have served you and we have gone into battle after battle after battle. So now I'm calling upon you You've seen how God has led, and now I'm calling upon you to put down your the God, your fathers, because he knew that no matter all the things that he's been trying to point them toward God, that there were still that there were still people within the Israelite nation who were still stuck on other gods, whether the, these mm -hmm. came in through other marriages or whatever or whatever it was, and he's talking to them, the strangers that are amongst them and he's saying now choose you this day whom you're going to serve put away all your gods and turn away and serve god because i you know as for me and my house i'm going to serve the lord and i just had this aha spiritual moment i was like Whoa, this now it's a, you know i don't know how many years after hearing this verse and talking about this verse now it finally came to me, you know, that this was the reminder that Joshua was trying to to tell them after everything that has gone on, who are you serving? And and this is why we come back to this question. Would um, would God have driven out the remaining nations? No, because God wanted to something always there to remind them of who they served. Amen, Jen. Amen. 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 Um, say moving quickly on Joshua 24 19 20 Joshua said to the people you are not able to serve the Lord he is a holy God he is a jealous God he will not forgive your rebellion and your sins if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he's been good to you based on this passage is Yahweh forgiving? Okay. First of all, we can't take any passage by itself and build mm -hmm. a whole theology. Of it. We have mm -hmm. to look at at the entire scripture. We know when we look at the entire scripture before this and after this that God is incredibly forgiving. Yes. But this is a warning for all of us that if we make a foolish decision not to follow God, bad things happen. And it, it's not mm -hmm. because necessarily God brings them on, 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 on us. It's because it's the natural result of doing things differently to the divine plan. That, that if, as I've read the scripture, I've come to, to, to one, um, one incredible discovery, and that is God's law is his blessing. Yes. Okay. So, so many yep. times we read God's law and say, if we keep God's law, we'll be blessed. That that's from that's from the wrong perspective. God's law is His blessing. Is God blessed. is telling yes. us, if you do this stuff, you will be blessed. If you don't do these things, bad things will happen. That's like if you don't stick your finger in the electrical outlet, you won't get, <laughs> you, you 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 won't get shocked. But if you do, you will get shocked. And that's what God's trying to tell us. You know, if you take your hand and you put it on the hot plate on the stove, you will get burned. If you don't put it on the hot plate, get what? You won't get fine. burned. Okay. Right. So, so this is the, this is what Joshua is just trying to tell him. Listen, if you do stupid stuff, bad things are going to happen to you. You know. 
So, so if you if you want to be blessed, God has made it very easy. He's laid it out. This is how you're blessed. You do this, good things will happen. Friends, one of the ways, you know, the Bible says, and we'll discover this later on, to, to just, just hang on, sort of, just sort of uh, spoiler alert, you know, that we're saved by faith. But one of the ways we show we have faith in God is by doing what he asks, right? We're not saved by faith and then we do whatever we want to do. We're saved by faith because we have the faith in God to live the life the way he's told us to live it, and then good things happen. Mm-hmm. So that's where mm-hmm. we are here. And that's what he's wanting. And so is God always willing to forgive? Yes, he's always willing to forgive. But we've got to realize that the results of not doing what he says are bad things. Just like if you put your hand on the hot plate of the stove, you're going to blister your hand, okay? It's the natural result of going against the creation of the world and, and, and the way God set things up. And so show faith, live a good life, and avoid pain. And That's what God not, wants. Not only that, um, not only that, if we are, so if, if you are looking at this, just this particular verse, because I, I love, Rob, how you just explained that in, in the whole sense of, of salvation and forgiveness and, and what God is asking us to do. But if people are looking at it just based on this verse, you know, is Yahweh forgiving based on this verse, we have to also look at it, what what was there at that time. There, as harsh as this may sound, there was no forgiveness of sin in any sense under Mosaic law. And right. although right. the particular sin that God said here, he would not forgive was identified as the worshiping of other God, but in its larger context, like what you just talked about, um, Rob, it is applied to any breaking of the covenant. He will not forgive your transgression refers specifically to the worship of foreign gods and more generally to any wrongdoing for anything that God is asking us to do under his law under what he's commanding us to do. The Lord is going to continue to test and grow us. I think many times one of the biggest mistakes that that we make as parents is we want to protect our children from everything. And ultimately what we do when we protect our children from everything is we we raise weak human beings. That Mm. it's through battle and warfare that we become strong. It's the way we are tested. It's the way we test ourselves, especially when you raise young men. I mean, I was... I, I was um, I was criticized as a parent because I allowed my son when he was a kid to take the bus to downtown Nashville to ride his skateboard and practice Popar down there. Um, but I have a son now that is not living in my basement. Mm. He has a good paying job. He is an elder in his church and he runs a Bible study from his home on Friday evening. And of course, his wife just gave birth to their first child. He was ready Yay. to get out there and face the world, okay? And that's what we're raising our kids for. God recognized that with his children, okay? That if they just moved into a land and lived in, and lived off the fat of the land and milk and honey for the rest of their lives, they would have never needed him. They would have never developed a relationship with him. They wouldn't realize that the battles and the victories they, 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 they were going to experience um, came from God. And so, so God understood that basic truth with his children as he gave them the promised land. And he understands that truth with us, that if we're going to grow in our relationship with him, we've got to go through our own hard times and our own opportunities to prove ourselves to him as the generations go by so that we learn to rely on him completely. 
So, so I know there's always risk involved with that. We see the risks, okay? Some people didn't choose. Some people struggled. There were battles and wars. But from the risks and from those experiences, he developed a, a true, strong, and hardened remnant who stood for him. And that's our goal as parents. That should be our goal in our spiritual lives. And, and, and that is definitely God's goal for us because he continues to give us tests today. And the question is, is how are you doing in the test that God's giving you? Are you relying on him? Are you moving forward? Are you brave enough to do it his way? So, so w again, we can definitely see ourselves and our God and the continuation of God's desire to grow us into bigger, better, stronger people for him. All right, friends. That brings us to the conclusion of the questions today. And I want to thank everybody who contributed to these questions and who really challenged Jen and I. These were not easy <laughs> questions. And, and I want to thank you for that because I will tell you that we both grow as a result of this in our yes, walk with Christ as, as we work to prepare to answer your questions. And, um, and, and that's how we all make each other stronger. Next week, we're going to read Judges 4 to 21 okay and so we get past the uh the, the the time of of the the conquest that took place in in um joshua and we start seeing who gets what piece of real estate and and how they actually settle the land and and whether or not they stay true to their promises to god that's what you got that's what we're going to start getting into in judges uh, 4 through 21. So read it. There's a lot of great stories. So if you're somebody that are just looking for good stories, there are a lot of great stories there. There's a lot of challenging stories there. And um, again, as we spoke about earlier, take time to read this with your family. Go through it with your family. If it's just you and your wife, go through it with just your wife. Set some times apart, but but go through this. As, as the principal of Sawgrass Adventist School, I've been going through this with our students, okay? And so, you know, we, we're, we, we have just gotten through the book of Ruth with our students, but, but, but mm -hmm. um, and so we're a little bit ahead of, 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 of the rest of us. Um, so, so, you know, so we got judges, then you're gonna go through the book of Ruth. We just finished the book of Ruth with our students. And so you can go through this with your children as well. Make it a family thing to go through the Bible. Yes. Make it part of your family tradition to do this. And, and your kids are gonna ask you the same kinds of scary questions that you've asked me and Jen, and you're gonna to have to wrestle with them the same way and you will grow there too. So please um, continue to text us your questions at 954. 388-8780. Again, write this down, 954-388-8780. And one more time, because three times is the charge, 954-388-8780. Continue to read daily. Um, your host next week will be Pastor Dexter and Liz Thomas, they will do a wonderful job. And, um, and uh, we just um, expect you to be looking forward to the upcoming chapters in Judges 4, of, uh, 4 through Judges 21 next week. Thank you so much, Pastor Jen. 
Thank you, viewers, for being here. And Pastor Ben, I'm going to invite you to end this time together with prayer. All right. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this time that we have been able to delve into your word, into chapters and questions that were not as easy as to, to tackle, Father, that these are hard ones that question your creation, question um, our ability to, to ask you to do something spectacular for us, Father, challenging us on, on how we're going to um, continue to walk in you. And so, Father, as we look and as we have studied through Joshua and Judges, part of Judges, Father, we ask that you continue to open our minds, Father, that yes, let the hard questions come. Let us not be afraid to ask questions because when we ask questions, Father, this is how we get to know you better and know your love for us even greater than before. So we ask, Lord, Father, that those who are listening and viewing, Father, be open to a greater understanding of you, a more beautiful picture, that their lives may be touched, Father, and that they may yearn to know more and go deeper into their relationship with you, Father. Thank you for being our Abba Father Daddy. Um, thank you for being our pillar in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. Plantation SDA Church presents the Bible Christ. Read your Bible daily joins every Sunday at 730 p.m. Genesis all the way through to Revelation. Let's read the entire Bible in 2021 with the Bible.